All right. You've got Welcome. two exclamation points on that. I do. <laughs> I'm excited about this interview. All right. Lido. Welcome to The Orbit. Thank you. It's an ongoing interview series where we interview just a lot of solo-run business owners, right. a lot of them young, but really it's just interesting people who are interested in things. Cool. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Right. Uh, for work, I am a programmer, and I also teach programming. For fun, I draw and do a lot of calligraphy, and very interested in what makes art good generally. Nice. Kind of. <laughs> I like that because there's the hard technical skills of computer stuff. Right. And then you're in the back of your brain is like, what is what is art? <laughs> yeah. Which kind of leads us to what we're here to talk about right. today, which is Christopher Alexander, who I think you maybe told me about initially. Oh, that's good. Which okay. I think yeah, which I think is very exciting. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about Christopher Alexander and how you became interested in him? Right. Uh, Christopher Alexander was an architect working from the 60s onward. Uh, he built the famous Alice Waters restaurant in the Bay Area, I think. No way! Yeah. The one in Berkeley? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Chez Panisse. Yeah. Uh, he designed the Chez Panisse and also uh, whichever of the universities is in Eugene, Oregon. University of Oregon, I think. Right. I think uh, that's, that's the, the one. one. Yeah. Um, very interested in what makes buildings good, and wrote a lot about how to design things well in a formal way. Um, in particular, he didn't have a lot of respect for formal architecture. He thought that most of the buildings that were being produced at the time felt not relevant to humans, and really wanted to center actual people and the way people live and do things in his work. That's really cool. Yeah. And there's a like a little bit of a relationship to programming somehow. And like it's almost manufactured. Right. right. I programmers try to apply Christopher Alexander's <laughs> work to their own work. And I think there is room because Christopher Alexander is writing about design. Mm -hmm. Um and design in the sense of like resolving the different forces. You're making a created object that fits into some context. And I think in that sense, programming is also doing that. You're making a designed object that should run on a computer and, and resolve some problem that you have. Right. Um, but also, a lot of the way Christopher Alexander gets applied to programming feels very artificial. Like Because that's not what he was force, writing about. No, he was not writing about programming at all, and people have tried to apply it to programming, right. and it doesn't fit, I think. <laughs> so, so what led you to Christopher Alexander? A recommendation from my friend Nico, okay. uh, who told me about a book, The Timeless Way of Building, which you've read now. Right. And are you applying, then, if not computer programming, what are you applying? Just general design thinking? Yeah. How to okay. think about making things. Nice. Yeah. That's a very good general right. <laughs> way to how to apply this. Yeah. Cool. So, Timeless Way of Building, I read it. Right. And what the things I like about it is it's very poetic it and is. very spiritual. It's making an emotional argument, not a logical one, which I think is very effective. I think it's super effective as well. Yeah. All of my reading is just like really like thoughtful people that make the emotional <laughs> argument. Right. Uh, so I loved that. Right. It took him like 14 years to write? Something like that, yeah. Like a very long time. Yeah. And it is also like, as of today, a $65 book new. Yeah, still, <laughs> still in print. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. Uh, so when you read it, right. what was your takeaway? Or what, why did it come up with you and Nico? Right. 
I don't remember why it came okay. up with me and Nico at all. Uh, there's a lot to think about in that book, I would say. Yeah. Um, the thing I kind of came to talk about was this book, the thing he wrote before, because it's way more digestible. I don't know. Okay. I feel like The Timeless Way of Building has in it each heading as a little piece of italicized text. And Christopher Alexander himself says, if you don't have time to read this whole book, just read these headings and you'll get the main point. Good design. Which I think is yeah, good design. <laughs> it's too clever. It's gross. <laughs> um, but I think that, like, there's a lot in that book that it's hard to talk about. He's just making a case for self-organizing environments that people make themselves to make things right for the space that they're in. Right. That's how I describe it. But there's so much there. I don't know if I could summarize it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So you, that, after reading that, right. it led you to this. Led me to this earlier work, which is him trying to make kind of the same argument in a formal, mathematized way. Which is interesting, coming at it from a different direction. I, I'm, like, scared. <laughs> I don't think it's successful. Oh, okay. I think, I mean, because he's trying to talk about what makes people feel good. In a make, mathematical way. <laughs> right. Um, it works and obviously led him to the timeless way of building later. You know, it's, it's part of that. Uh, but it's also much more digestible and much more applicable, I guess that makes sense. The, like, timeless way of building is about art, right? Like developing skills over time that right. will let you apply. And this is like a formal method for designing. So if it's more applicable, right? Uh, what are you applying it to? Or like, tell me about your relationship right. with this book. So... This book is about how hard it is to design things that fit their environment well. And he describes a method for doing that. And I've been trying to apply, like when I make something, try to figure out what are the actual design elements that need to go into it. Um, and one thing he says is how difficult it is to figure out what things are actually connected to each other. Um, like You were talking about a teapot. Right, he co okay. keeps using the example of a kettle. Okay. Um, and like, making a good kettle depends on many things. And we talk about them with human words that may or may not relate to the actual nature of the thing. Yeah, the kettleness. <laughs> right. Or like, we talk about like, economics in terms of how much does this kettle cost. Right. And the things that you change about the kettle will change how much it costs or how economical it is to make. But maybe in a difficult to understand way. Um, different materials will change the cost, different sizes may change the cost. All of these things are complexly interrelated. Um, some things have like negative feedback on each other. If you make the kettle larger and you have the requirements it must hold enough water and also must not take up too much space, like you change one thing and it'll these negatively two, yeah. impact the other. Um, so some things are like a math balance. Right, it is. And he kind of ends up describing what programmers call a constraint-solving system. Um, of like, figure out, he actually, in the back of this book, writes down exhaustively every possible thing that is interrelated and numbers them. Um, in the book? For one design example. Like, how to design a particular village. I want to place. make a mind map of this. Right. And he just writes down every single thing he can think of that's a requirement. And then, after that, writes down every relation of them and how they affect each other. 
He's showing me a page of numbers. Yeah. <laughs> right now. Right. That's exhaustive, but also it is. very satisfying to look at. Right. Right. This seems so... I mean, maybe I should, you know, actually do the thing and try mm. it, but it seems so exhausting that I have not written out every single thing when I'm trying to make something. So know. when you say you're trying to make something, right. what are you making? Different pieces of art, I guess. Okay. Um, different... I don't know how to describe the, the things. Right, because um, you just make a lot of different art. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, That's yeah. fair. Because I know it's very it's very general, as this concept right. is very general. I think I'm just trying to find examples. You got it. Yeah. Um, uh, but it is useful to know. Yes. I hope. Right. So more digestible, more applicable, because right. you can, it has more tangible right. theorems. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Very concrete. So walking away from it, has it improved your ability to make art? I think we'll find out in the long term. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, we'll see. Cool. Um, I like the way I think about things better now, having read this book, but I don't know if that actually is going to lead to a, a tangible... Fruitful yeah, use. I we'll think find out. Um, in reading The Timeless Way of Building, right. one of the, thing, one of the uh, things that he's trying to produce is this quality without a name right which is when you walk into a space for example and it's just good right it makes you feel more yourself great yeah uh for example i always use this example courier coffee portland oregon yeah that place has for me yeah um the quality without a name where everything uh as in christopher alexander's word every fixture every element of the space has a purpose and life to it yes what would be an example of something that doesn't have that? Um, Christopher Alexander loves to talk about buildings and uh-huh. like a high school. Yeah, you know, because it's long, it's an institutional right. place that is built with squares. A long dark hallway, light only at one end, a door at the other end. You know, <laughs> the worst place ever. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So that would be an example of. Uh, poor design and very little life. And Christopher Alexander's later work is trying to find, like, what makes it feel this way in particular and just naming everything. And, like, his uh, favorite one to talk about as an example is, like, rooms should have light on two different sides. Like, doesn't have to be opposite sides, but, like, have windows on two of the walls of a room. And if you do that, if you have a larger room, it will feel better. Just, like... There's no word to describe it necessarily. You'll just feel more at home there. Um, and he's trying to just name a, a pattern language, which is one of his later books he wrote after A Timeless Way. It's just about naming every single one of those he can think of. Right. Yeah. This, it's interesting to me because he's trying to use language to capture the ineffable. Yeah. <laughs> which is probably right. why it's so poetic. Yeah. <laughs> um, Reading this as normal people, mm-hmm. I think one of the main things, like once I finished ti- reading A Timeless Way of Building, I was like, I need to get a comfy chair and put it by the window to read. Right. That makes sense. Right. Um, so as far as like just an interior design perspective, mm-hmm. that's probably the most reasonable approach. Right. However, uh, because he also lists the elements of like a functioning town, right. it changes the way I look at cities yeah. too. 
because it kind of separates me to like look down on the streets and see like which parts of this work, right? Which I think is also interesting. And it kind of empowers us as people to just like think about the spaces we have control over and try to just subtly make them better in the ways we can. Which, like we yes. can't move a street, right? We don't have the power to. <laughs> right, but we can notice and like see the environment and the context and the things we do have control over be like, well, I know since like the space I'm in is like this, here are the ways I can change it to make it suit me better. Which is design. Right. The, like the, I think it was Nico saying like the rule of design is just like making things feel better. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the whole thesis. Right. Um, Christopher Alexander also uh, developed this concept called pattern languages. Right. As well. Right. Um, do you, like do you want to talk about this? Sure. Uh, his thinking on pattern languages is. Something that I think comes up with a lot of people who talk about art, which is like the language of things you know to express. Does that make sense? I don't know, that may, not, might be too abstract, but like in a drawing, what, be it literal iconography or what technique you have that makes a thing They're feel a way. elements. Right. Mm -hmm. And they range from broad and compositional to like infinitely small to the quality of a line or something like that. And that artist's language is something we build up over time um, and acquire just by practice or by instruction. Mm -hmm. um, Christopher Alexander. Or culture. Or, yeah, or culture. Christopher yeah. Alexander really advocates for the way of learning, which is learn by being corrected instead of learning by formal rules. Like when you learn drawing often, you just do it a lot and are instructed by being like, no, try again. Like, no, try again. Mm -hmm. And there's no like formal rule of like, you must do it this way. Because once you have that, it cuts off a lot of the avenues for right. you know interesting things you might want to explore. On the other hand, if you're learning to like be a lifeguard or something, you don't have the advantage of being able to do by trial and error <laughs> until you figure out how to be good. Right, exactly. Um, formal you sense have to of have rules. a rule <laughs> that you follow and it's, right. you know, uh, reduces the sort of art space of that, but it's good. That's good. Um, For me, uh, that's like blogging. I'm going through okay. this like immediately. Um, as far as I don't, maybe blogging is not a good example. I think the re the rationale is that that's an art that I'm continuously refining the process. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I'm thinking about pattern language in terms of that Christopher Alexander says that all the things we make are directly influenced by the language that we have yes. to describe them, which is super cool as yeah. a writer. Uh, I think a lot of people talk about how if you learn a lot of languages when you're young, your capacity for thought is also expanded. That's a Theory. super warp hypothesis, yeah, yeah. right? And I don't know if that's true. Fair. Right. Um, but, but it's a fun idea. The idea is our capability of speaking about things right. will shape the things that we make. Right. So perhaps what he's doing in these books is the reason there is such extensive lists is that he, then you can identify and change them. That's exactly what he's doing. And in fact, in the appendix of this book, or in, or in the afterword, that's literally what he says that he is trying to do. <laughs> so you nailed it. Uh, Woo! 
Uh, he's just like trying, he's like, I've written this book to demonstrate that you must, the way in which you make a thing influence the thing that is made, and you must make a thing in a good way for it to be good. And you do that by having the language enough to think about it correctly. That's really cool. Yeah. And it makes me realize the importance of, honestly, poetry. Yeah. Um, I think that poetry is having a moment right now. It's one of the best-selling genres of literature today, which is pretty cool. Part of it's Instagram. But um, it is also the art of distilling uh, communication down to its most effective form. It's the, mo- it's the most profound result for a distilled collection of words. Sure. Which um, relates if we then have that ability to accurately describe the things that we're talking about, our capacity to build better things improves. Yeah. Which I, I think, think Christopher Alexander would, would like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I've talked a little bit about how I've been using mm-hmm. this. What, what do you hope to use it, or how have you implemented what you've been reading? Um, I want to be able to think better about things that I make. Like, if I make a piece of art, I want to be able to know. It's so, it's such a squishy thing. Yeah, you're drawing. Right, yeah. drawing or making, like, computer art, things right. that change over time, um, like... The Magnolia. The Magnolias. Um, Lido's making a, uh, basically a simulated Magnolia. Right. That you click into a page, and depending on the weather, it will be blooming or not. Right. It will. It will. Uh, it knows the weather in Seattle, or at least at SeaTac, which is not mm-hmm. always the same as outside. <laughs> um, and it'll it'll tell you the weather, and also if it's been warm enough, the magnolia will start to bloom eventually in the spring. And Got it's it. Started to bloom right now. And so, anyway, yeah, I want to be able to identify what makes this feel good. Like, why have I done this, and what can I do to make it better and like more effective um and we were talking earlier about how like nico looked at that and immediately saw <laughs> the perfect thing to do uh which in this case was make the page automatically update instead of having to refresh and it just makes like that one thing makes it feel more magical and more alive and i want to know how to do that also yeah i, I want to know how to find that and think about how think about the actual thing that i'm making why it's good and how to make it better. Do you have any like examples of something you've seen and you're like, ah, oh, this does it? <laughs> I feel like that's a question I'd have to think about for yeah. a long time. I'd have to like reach back into all of the of art things that, I, that are well executed. Yeah, like right. my go-to is uh, Courier Coffee because I think that space is really well done. Um, it does depend because you just have to go through like the mental right. spaces of all the art. Especially you because there's so many different pieces of art that people like, and it's hard. Each person who has made this art has independently like come up with a set of things they want to present and like resolved it in a unique way. And so you have to like look at someone's entire art catalog and figure out what it is they're doing and why it's effective and then hopefully steal that for yourself. Right. Um, Identify yeah. it. Yeah. So for the viewer, right. if the viewer was get get some like tangible mm-hmm. use out of all of this design information, right. the rule is basically sit down and try to make a list 
yeah. of all of the elements of what you're trying to create? The thing that's been most important for me is the way Christopher, Christopher Alexander in this book thinks about form versus the context the form lives in. Um, okay. Like, you're making a kettle. He loves that example. Um, <laughs> it's like uh, in Timeless Way of Building, he loves barns. Right. He <laughs> loves talking about how to build, how people build it's good barns. Teaching. It's good. Uh, useful, you know? Mm -hmm. um, what determines a good kettle is different from one place to the next, one context to the next. Like, if you have a tiny kitchen, like I live in a very small space, having a big water heater is probably bad. It's taking up space that could be better used for something right. else. Whereas if you're in an industrial kitchen, you need your kettle to dispense hot water immediately and it doesn't really depend, but it might not matter how much space it takes up. Right. And so where do you form the boundary between the thing that you're making and the context. space? Like maybe you could just like clear off some more counter space and that would be an adequate design solution. Um, and it's a malleable boundary. And I think thinking about that has made me a lot more conscious of what it is I'm making and given me a broader space of how to solve different design problems. Um, and so Christopher Alexander talks about the thing that we're designing is a good fit for the context that you have. And so try to determine your context concretely as best you can. Yeah, or the frame. Right, yeah. the frame. And be as broad as you like. Like step outside the form you're making to see if you can resolve things in a different way. And then, once you know the exact context, you'll be way better equipped to know what your actual problem is and know the thing you're trying to make. Um, if I say make a kettle, that's not enough actual information to build a thing that's good. Um, like, down to, in different countries, people use different kettles because the voltage of the power mains is different. Right. We're talking not about a this, problem right? that we have here. <laughs> not a problem we have here. We just do whatever. Yeah. People don't care, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but like in the UK, they have 200 plus volts right. uh, in the power main. And so when you put the kettle on, there's a ton of power just going into the water. It heats up and it's fine. Whereas in Japan, it's a 120 volt power mains. And so you, instead of putting the kettle on, because that would take a long time, if you need hot water, you have a reservoir of hot water that's kept hot. Like different contexts need different solutions. So know your context and know your form most effective advice nice yeah it's a lot to think about it is <laughs> and design is is fun because i think a lot of people are looking for things that feel good especially right. in like you ux shit. sure yeah <laughs> i don't know it's broadly applicable just like yeah. one of the best things we can do as people i feel like is make the spaces around us just better yeah as best we and can. that's the that's the takeaway yeah um now that you've finished this Yes. Where are you headed next in your like personal reading or the interests? thing I want to do is take a couple of artists that I really love and try to figure out the things that make their art good in this kind of formal uh, mathematical way. That's very exciting. That's not the sum of their art. Like you can't uh -huh. actually understand what a person is doing. I don't think by diagramming the specific techniques that they use. But it use, might give you language. I want to learn about it, yeah. right? Like, I, there might be something there. I want to try. What artists? I haven't decided yet. Okay. I'll let you know when I, when I have a list. Yeah. Two, three artists. Thinking Klimt is going to be one of them. Gustav Klimt. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I, uh, like, I'm thinking about 
authors, for example. Right. Um, this is like um, uh, Andres Thompson, I think it was. Okay. Typing out the contents of The Great Gatsby. Just right. to see, so, how see it what felt. went into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. I think maybe that's what I'm doing with uh, all my like Joey Ito fandom right. as well. It's because I'm like, here's someone yeah, who is who has a lot of information is and is executing it mm-hmm. in a very good way. So I'm just consuming all of the parts that have made him who he is in order to fully understand his process, his thought process, right? Uh, his form, yeah. as it were. It's the classic joke, like, what should I do? Well, just choose the thing that a person smarter than me would do and do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. We are, we have about five minutes left. Cool, that flew by. It did. Um, I think that concludes it. Do you have anything else that you'd want to explore? I think we hit all the points that I'd sort of mentally made a list on. We did it very uh, efficient way. Yeah. Cool. Well, this has been The Orbit. Uh, If you're interested in books, you're in the right place. And we'll see you next week uh, for another interview. Thanks for joining us, Lee. Thanks so much.